Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We will be joined by the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. But before we bring David on, I want to tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine, in which the cover feature story is Tracy Bentley, the president of the Permian Basin Strategic Partnership, an amazing organization of some of the largest operators in the Permian Basin that have come together to create a mission that is unlike any other trade association. You really need to read up on what they're doing out there in that area. For more information and to catch up with David and read his story, visit shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. Let me tell you also about the fastest growing networking group. Right now, as we're coming out of the coronavirus, everyone is looking for a party, an event, a networking event that you can grow your business. You should join Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They do a lot of mixers and events, and they're going to start virtual mixers very soon. For more information and to join, go to txenergyadvocates.org. Again, that's txenergyadvocates.org. And lastly, I'd like to tell you about our state of energy that was rescheduled due to the coronavirus. It is now set for its new date of September 22nd in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. It is a luncheon with a networking mixer that evening. For more information or to go buy tickets, please visit shellmag.com. Again, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com and you'll see the link to purchase your tickets. We're still looking for sponsorships, but one thing is for sure, folks, this will be a sold out event So you definitely want to get your tickets now, and we'll see you there. And now it's time to bring on our guest today, David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. David, welcome to the show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas. It is. And by the time we air, guess what will have been lifted? No more stay-at-home order. Yay. Yes, but I do hope that people still practice cleanliness, distance space or you know separate yourself spacing properly and try to use your mask I would think even though you don't have to it might not be a bad idea to use your mask when you go out I've, I've been trying to I'm pick up that everywhere I go it, it really improves my looks oh there you go you got the the, the face for a mask huh <laughs> well, let's, let's jump into there's a lot going on as always and it's kind of hard to keep all these different balls in the air of what's happening in the energy sector but I, I want to start with so there's been some discussion in DC and of course in the Trump administration about President Trump and Manoush jumping in and helping the energy industry with some loans can you kind of yeah. set up first what specifically is the government thinking about doing to help the oil industry? And then we want to talk about some of the fallout from some of the energy industries, where these groups and these folks are, are falling at. Sure. Yeah. And of course, you know, with the industry uh, falling into such dire financial straits, there has been a lot of discussion in Washington about ways that they might help to try to keep some of these companies solvent. 
Um, and you've had these stimulus bills that have set up various small business loan programs and other uh, federally guaranteed loan programs. Some are forgivable, some are, some are not. And, and so everybody's trying to figure out, well, do any of these apply to oil and gas operators? And if so, how much sense do they really make? Uh, Secretary Mnuchin uh, last week was talking about uh, having the Federal Reserve actually establish a program uh, that would provide uh, low-interest, federally guaranteed loans to to oil and gas operators who who were in financial trouble. And um, but none of it's come about yet. There aren't any real hard answers at this point. And uh, I guess what we've seen so far this week is is the various uh, trade associations in Washington assuming their own positions on the matter. Well, and but then also there's been some media reports out too, you know, discussing is this, you know, really necessary to do if a lot of these operators might already be in the red and fail anyway. Right. Um, is yeah. this really going to, you know, work or not? So some of the things is, yeah, why are you going to just, you know, Right. Throw money and, and somewhere. Of course, exactly. And, 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 of course, that applies uh, to really any any industry sector. But in the oil and gas sector, it, you do wonder, frankly, uh, how much sense it makes for the government to establish an entirely separate program that would be lending money to companies in the oil and gas business that are already, for all intents and purposes, on you know, in bankruptcy. I mean, they're might not have declared yet, but it's kind of inevitable for a lot of companies uh, with with the price collapse that we've seen over the next few months are going to be declaring bankruptcy. Um, and is that really any kind of a solution? Uh, you know, it, it may delay some of the bankruptcy filings, um, but eventually the loans have to be repaid. And if a company, you know, can't can't repay the debt it already has assumed from banks or other lenders, uh, is it really going to be able to repay a loan given by the Federal Reserve Board? So, you know, those are all questions that the policymakers have to to answer. Mm -hmm. Frankly, you wonder how many oil and gas companies would even, you know, want to take on an additional debt load at this point in time. Well, um, and so it just, yeah, it's it's all a, a really difficult issue to deal with. Well, and we're going to get on to the topic of the Texas Railroad Commission a little bit later on in the show about what's the latest status with that. You've been writing yeah. a lot of articles in Shell, and your daily Shell update has been discussing the progress there. Great articles, by the way. But, you know, API was one that, that uh, called in when the Texas Railroad Commission had their hearing. And they were opposed to the Texas Railroad Commission getting involved on any kind of yeah. monitoring, I mean, uh, getting involved in, in sanctions of any way pertaining to the energy industry. Well, once again, American Petroleum Institute, better known as API, is weighing on this topic as well. And they're, they're kind of discussing right. that they're against it for the fact that, you know, once you invite the government into your business and, and you know, a lot of these uh, business owners that have applied for the PPP, PPE, they're kind of are opening the door to let big government in and you, you're sure. going to have a lot more reporting. So they're not necessarily lining up with, hey, uh, this is, you know, not a good thing. What, what are your thoughts on API first? And then I'm going to go on to the other trade associations as well. 
Yeah, and, and there are merits to to that argument. I mean, I've, I I honestly have made the same arguments myself uh, at various points in time on on different subjects. Any time the federal government gets involved in your business, are you borrowing money from them or, or whatever it is? There are going to be strings attached. So so I understand that point of view from API. That having been said, uh, the companies that API represents are not companies that are going to be a part of any of these programs anyway. They, they represent the, the major integrated oil companies and some very large independent producers. Um, and, that could just go know, to Wall have, Street and borrow more money and stuff because they're publicly traded companies, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, it's not really their issue. Issue shares. Um, yeah. Yeah. What about IPAA? Where where are they lining up with that? I'm sorry. Finish on API and then yeah. go ahead. Well, no, no, that's 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 fine. IPAA is a different question, right? Because they they represent independent producers. They have something upwards of six or seven thousand members, most of which are very small companies. You know, sole proprietors, not non-corporation companies, um, and and those are the kinds of companies that that a lending program like Secretary Mnuchin is talking about, those are the kinds of companies that that might actually take advantage of of a program like that. And and so IPAA's opinion on this uh, is is much different than APIs, of course, because these are all member-driven associations. And um, frankly, I you know I just think IPAA's opinion on it is much more relevant uh, because it it has the members who might actually be assisted by a program like this. So, mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's the kind of thing we see all the time on myriad issues um, in the industry in Washington, here in Texas, and elsewhere. Yeah, it's usually, you know, the big publicly traded corporations. Well, we just saw this with the loans going out and all the banks, I mean, lent out the money to their top customers, the big guys. The little guys it was meant to, it didn't reach. So they got their hands slapped and told... Give back that money before we come after you. Right. Uh, it's the same yeah. thing kind of in the energy industry with these big, you know, integrated oil companies that are drilling all over the world. And they can issue shares. They have many, many different levers they can pull, have access to capital in which the little independents don't. And um, so, you know, it is, an, it is an interesting way of looking at these two different areas and why they typically tend to support energy but in policies they do tend to change uh drastically when we get back from break i want to talk a little bit about also the whole flood of oil that's coming and there's been of course articles in shell magazine you know kind of helping the administration do something you know we 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 are being flooded by saudi oil and so i want to get an update on that or i want to just get an update and i also you know want to talk a little bit more about the two large industries that keep weighing in where are they at with this as well we do have to take a quick break you're listening to in the oil patch radio show and we'll be right back Hi folks, Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200 kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. 
Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators, as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. I'm Tracy Bentley, the CEO President of the Permian Strategic Partnership, an alliance of 19 energy companies located in West Texas and Southeast New Mexico. For the first time in history, our companies have come together with one goal in mind, supporting our community. In 2019, our first full year of existence, we committed more than $30 million to support six major initiatives, built partnerships with dozens of community stakeholders, and helped secure an additional $1 billion in state and federal funding for roadway improvements in the Permian Basin. By partnering with local leaders, we will continue to work hard to make roads safer, improve schools, upgrade health care, increase affordable housing, and train the next generation of workers. Because we don't just work here, we live here, and neighbors are supposed to help each other out. For more information, go to permianpartnership.org, permianpartnership.org. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine and a trusty friend to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, is a great analyst and expert. David, we've kind of been discussing the potential opportunity that the Trump administration might be trying to help the energy sector. And and I want to stay on this topic, but I want to switch gears a little bit. So President Trump put a lot of pressure on the Saudis to cut oil back, uh, what, a couple of weeks ago, them and Russia, which is OPEC plus. And they agreed to, you know, cut, but they also at the same time didn't cut nearly enough. And as a result, now we're seeing, what is it, 40 million barrels heading to Texas uh, ports for uh, refineries to yeah, head it's 50 to, million barrels. Yeah. It's 50 million. Okay, thank you for the correction. Yeah, so yeah. let's put this first in context. How much oil did they send the year before altogether? You know, they typically, in a typical month, the U.S. Uh, has imported about four to six million barrels per day from, from Saudi Arabia uh, and Russia combined um, over the past year. What, what I this thought I saw million, was like 24. Five to twenty-eight million for the whole entire year. So that's I'm sorry, I, I meant to say for per month, um, not not per day. I, I said per day, and so you know this fifty million barrels of oil is is an awful lot of it's, oil. It's like double what they did for the whole entire yeah. year last year. This is right. So this is not just oh, oops, you know we 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 drilled a little too much or whatever. This is truly designed to do this so sure we'll cut the oil but we're going to flood the united states with with oil and you have written a couple of articles discussing uh that the thought is if president trump comes in and sanctions this oil coming in or turns those ships around what options does he have and and tell us why you think they make sense if you could talk to president trump what would you be telling him well, he could, you know, we have this thing called the Defense Production Act, and and also the president has the the authority to declare emergencies in certain situations. And this is an emergency. <laughs> and he could he could issue an executive order uh, denying all those ships. There's about 20 tankers uh, with with this 50 million barrels of crude headed this way. 
he could he could issue an executive order if he decided it was the right thing to do, you know, uh, denying them the right to land at any U.S. port or at at any U.S. based refinery. That would be controversial, but the reality is that one of the big problems, and, and and of course we saw the price for West Texas Intermediate actually go into negative territory one day oh, yeah. last week. Yeah, and that was historic. It had never why, happened before, ever. Right, it had never happened before, and 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 the reason it happened is because we're running out of storage space for crude oil in the United States. Well. If, if you let 50 million barrels of Saudi crude that was produced during March and April when they were intentionally flooding the market with oil, if you let that crude land in the United States, what's going to happen? It's going Most of it's going to go into storage because we don't have enough demand for the, for the oil we're producing here in the United States. And so it's just going to exacerbate that issue. I have advocated that the president should uh, order those ships to turn around and, and force them to find some other port to land in, uh, some other country to land in, uh, because we just don't need that massive bubble of imports suddenly showing up on our shores right now. It's it's as much a national security issue as anything. And, you know, it would have the, the effect of delaying the point in time when U.S. storage is actually become going to become full, and and frankly, I think the market got ahead of itself when when the price went negative. It, it, since that time, we've had two di- different storage, two additional storage reports, inventory reports, and they both been lower than anybody predicted they would be, and so storage is actually filling more slowly than we thought. And to me, it just doesn't make any sense to allow this oil to land here and really exacerbate what is already a bad situation for this industry. If they, if President Trump was to do something such as that, uh, declare an emergency and send the ships somewhere else, they go and deliver somewhere else, do, how much of an impact does it have globally? Because, it, you know, we're a global commodity. It may not affect um, the United States right away in, in, in a filling up the storage capacity, but would it also have an outcome globally flooding the market with 40 million, 50 million barrels? Well, I, you know, I think, frankly, from a global perspective, the markets have already taken that, you know, that additional production that happened during March and April into, okay. you know, it's already been rolled into prices. Mm-hmm. So, um, but what it hasn't happened is it hasn't been rolled into our storage facilities here in the United States. And that, to me, is what the president ought to be trying to head off at the pass here. Very good. Well, you know, we're getting ready to go to break here. But I did want to, you know, get try to get us on the topic of, so the past couple of weeks, you and I have covered over and over and over again. There's some really big changes happening here in Texas, too, with the Texas Railroad Commission, which, just for new listeners, the Texas Railroad Commission is actually the governing body of three that are elected that basically regulate the whole entire energy industry. And they were asked by emergency meeting from two very reputable oil companies, independents, the Pioneer Natural Resources and Parsley Energy, for an emergency meeting to talk about proation and, and if the Texas Railroad Commission could get involved 
in, in trying to help this, this very, very dire situation for the energy industry. When we get back, I want you to try to get us up to speed. We've, you've been writing a lot in Shell Magazine on this topic, and I want to get up to speed on what exactly is happening currently right now. But we're going to take a break. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our free business snapshot that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now. 210-240-7188 or go to shalemag.com slash business snapshot. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now. 210-240-7188 or go to shalemag.com slash business snapshot. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G dot com slash business snapshot. Start dealing with a company you can trust and will always be there for you. And we're back. Our guest today is David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. Um, David, before the break, we, we were talking a lot about current global things that are happening in D.C. and with the Trump administration trying to help the energy industry. Obviously, Texas is the most vulnerable state, if you will, if the energy industry should completely tank. This great state of ours has a lot to lose because of it. And the Texas Railroad Commission is the regulatory body that actually regulates this energy industry. And there had been some discussion we've covered in the past couple of weeks about them possibly getting involved. Do they have anything in their uh, toolkit to try to help stop this bleeding and help independent operators? And it was a hearing that we both listened to, but it was also a very interesting hearing all day. Give me the updates on, you know, what is happening right now. I believe uh, Commissioner Ryan Sinton, who uh, does some of our energy minutes here, put out a blog. Get us up to speed on what's happening with the Yes. With the energy industry? Yeah, he, he, uh, the commission will uh, consider a draft uh, order that Commissioner Sitton has proposed. It, it's posted at the Railroad Commission's website. What, what uh, Mr. Sitton has, has proposed would be a, a uh, proration 80%. He would limit each operator's total oil production in Texas. 80% of what it was in October of 2019, so October of last year when production was very high, a 20% reduction in that. And, and that would be determined on a monthly basis um, until Commissioner Sitton says the, the, the commission would monitor global demand until it had returned to at least 85 million barrels of oil per day, which uh, in January, on January 1st, crude demand was roughly 100 million barrels per day. Right now, it's probably around 75 million barrels a day or so. So 
So it would be a short-term approach to the problem, um, just limiting production in Texas, trying to delay the overfilling of, of storage capacity until demand begins to, to really return globally. Um, I reached out to all the trade associations in Texas and several other organizations yesterday uh, to gauge their reactions to the proposal. Mm-hmm. If you remember, all the, the statewide trade associations were against prorationing as a concept at the April 14th hearing on this matter. Uh, and again, they all told me that they're still, uh, their positions haven't changed uh, in relation to this specific proposal. And several of them, including Car Ingham, you know, who we have on our, our show regularly at the Texas Alliance, right. said, you know, stated their belief that really Texas producers have probably already reduced production by at that much already and maybe more than that just in the normal course of their business reacting to the market conditions and so they're opposed to it in principle and they're you know they think that the, that the market has already reduced production by more than that so it kindly you know, it would be uh, kind of irrelevant at this point. Um, so that's that's where they all are. Uh, Commissioner Christian, who's the chairman of the commission, had an op-ed in uh, Wednesday's Houston Chronicle mm-hmm. uh, in which he ex- said he would oppose this resolution. Uh, Commissioner Craddock hasn't uh, written an op-ed, but I understand she has indicated to people that she's probably going to oppose it as well. And so I, I think we should anticipate that the commission will take no action uh, when it hears this proposal on May 5th. Okay, well, there we go. Um, you know, I want to switch gears and talk about all the carnage that we're getting ready to see. I and mean, we knew it was coming. Uh, we knew we had our, our eye on a couple of operators. And um, so when we get back from break, I want to talk about which operators have filed for bankruptcy at this point, which ones are probably going to. And then um, let's talk a little bit about how many do you believe uh, are actually going to survive of the independents. Um, And then, of course, we'll look at the trade associations, too, because without operators, they really don't have trade associations, I'm assuming. But we've got to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Psst. Hey, you. Do you want to join the fastest-growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? TEAK is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash teak and click on the join link enter your information and we'll get you set up join the texas energy advocates coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine and one of our resident energy experts. Uh, David, before the break, we were ta- you gave us an update on what's happening 
at the Texas Railroad Commission and the hearings that they had had. Now, let's switch gears. Um, we're starting to see outcomes now of what we knew was coming. Uh, and, uh, you know, yeah. it could be an avalanche of them or we could see a trickle. Which companies, as of right now, have filed for bankruptcies? Which ones are getting ready to? And how many hundreds or how many bankruptcies will we see in the coming months? We, you might pull out your crystal well, ball. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, there will be a lot of bankruptcies. Uh, like when you I, say a lot, are you talking about like 100 or are, you, are we talking yeah, about 30? I, I, if you remember in 2015, 2016, we, we had about 200 upstream companies declare bankruptcy during that bust. Uh, I suspect this bust will be that bad or worse. Mm-hmm. Um, last week we saw Diamond Offshore Drilling Company, one of the big offshore drilling companies in the country, declare Chapter 11. Um, so they're reorganizing. They're just mm-hmm. they're reorganizing due to the crash. Uh, on Thursday morning, news broke that Chesapeake Energy in Oklahoma City is about to declare bankruptcy. Now, are they doing Probably. an eleven two, or are they just going to? I assume it'll be a Chapter 11 reorganization. You know, and that one's not surprising. Uh, Chesapeake has been teetering on the brink of bankruptcy for several years now. They have, you know, their management team has, has worked really hard to avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had hoped, you know, they had a, a big percentage of their oil volumes actually hedged this year at about $50 a barrel. And I'd hope that would uh, help them weather the storm, but uh, apparently that's not going to happen. Um, and so they're, they're going to have to go through bankruptcy, and that, of course, will mean more layoffs at that company. And, you know, and the, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, with prices this low for any extended period of time, uh, you have so many of these companies that were already, you know, struggling to be profitable at $50 a barrel. Uh, And when you're talking about, I guess, today it's $17 a barrel, uh, well, you know, that's a 75% reduction in price. It's also a big reduction in your revenue. So, um, I, you know, I hate to speculate, name any companies that you you expect to declare bankruptcy because you hope and pray they can all avoid it. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, many of them won't be able to. Uh, We just have to realize that. And it's going to be a very difficult time for the next several months here here in the oil business and you know a lot of i think a lot of people not of course not our listeners but it, a lot of people don't rec- realize that's it, so yes yeah, so oh the energy industry we hate big oil anyway and so what if they get laid off maybe they'll shut their doors and not drill but then it has this trickle down effect to those people too it and really does yeah so quickly just Tell us what happens when all these people start getting laid off to the state of Texas. Well, it, it you know, it, obviously it, it creates a, a real unemployment problem here in Texas. Uh, people who, who can't work, who, who don't have jobs, end up losing homes. And, uh, you know, um, you have a, a lot of lenders who have loaned money to those folks. They'll have consumer debt that doesn't get paid and bank debt that doesn't get paid. Cars get repossessed. You know, and it it, it 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 also just devastates the state government here That's in right. Texas. Yep. You're going to have severe reductions in sales tax collections uh, in the state of Texas. You have severe reductions in the state severance tax on oil and gas. 
which funds the state's rainy day fund, by the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it diminishes the ability of the state government to balance its budget without cutting jobs out of the state government. And so now we're talking about school funding. teachers and law enforcement. Right, and school teachers. And, and, you know, the state of Texas has to fund Medicaid programs and other health care programs and education programs of various sizes and types. So just this, and, and, and the other thing that gets killed is the local businesses, the cafes and restaurants and clothing stores and convenience stores in these communities that have seen all of this oil and gas activity over the past several years. You know, all that activity is going to really die down very drastically. And uh, that means their revenues are going to go down and they're going to have to lay people off. And so it just becomes this this cascading negative impact throughout our whole Texas economy that is going to create a very difficult uh, business environment for and, and environment for people, mm-hmm. for everyone. For everyone. So it's never anything to celebrate when any company goes bankrupt, whether it's in the oil business or any other business. And because ultimately it, it's going to come back and impact you some way. Let's uh, switch gears and talk about Kinder Morgan and um, Williams. They, uh, uh, another pipeline company, they were trying to merge and it failed. What happened there? Oh, uh, no, it wasn't Kinder Morgan. It's Energy Transfer. And, and oh, I'm sorry, Energy Transfer. I don't know why. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, they, so, yeah, it's an interesting story this week uh, about these two companies, Energy Transfer and the Williams companies that, you know, had, announced the merger plan back in 2016 and then thought they had an agreement done. And then, you know, Williams ended up pulling out uh, of the agreement because its CEO, you know, didn't believe it would add value to the company. And uh, Energy Transfer is seeking a billion-dollar separation payment from Mm -hmm. Williams uh, as a result, and it's a big lawsuit. It's a a very interesting story. that uh, is, uh, was published by the Market Institute. And and I, I just think it, it, it kind of boils down to who do you want to believe in this, in this thing, <laughs> whether you believe Williams management or energy transfers management as to who was really to blame for breaking up this deal. Um, the Market Institute uh, lays a lot of the blame at, at the foot of Williams and its management and, and is highly critical of their management. But, you know, um, don't you do that? Don't like you do that research beforehand before you, you know, start engaging in something? You, you kind of look at that and set those parameters. Right. It does remind me of the Baker Hughes and Halliburton deal. Um, and so it's, it's a little different, but it's similar of a breakup that's very, very costly, uh, a very, very costly divorce, if you will. We'll be right back. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. Remember this name, Oil Field Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oil Field Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth. 
and deserve a side-by-side -side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side -side owner study. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. David, let's switch gears as we close out our last segment and, and talk about oil prices. Uh, we, I love to talk to the oil price. <laughs> I'd love to talk to you about oil prices because, you know, over 30 years in the business, you really do have a feel for and a pulse in what's happening. And um, oil prices, they actually were looking fairly positive um, for late this year. Can you, um, l let's talk about that, because there's also been articles yeah. that have come out talking about uh, USB is predicting that oil prices will spike to 115% by the end of 2020. And that's, of course, a dramatic reversal from the current crisis we're in right now. And, of course, you know, I think everybody's probably on their hands and knees praying for that, this article to be correct. <laughs> but um, I, I want to get your opinion on this. Like, how likely is the spike coming? Oh, I, yeah, I think it's very likely, actually. Um, yeah, in, in several uh, forecasting outfits, uh, Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs and others have have also projected similar similar kind of outcome. And when you... When you just do the math, you know, right now, uh, you know, starting in March and, and, and through the end of May, things are very bleak. We're in this trough where, where global demand has really fallen off a cliff for crude oil because everybody shut down their economies to deal with the coronavirus pandemic, including the United States. But, but you know, China has already pretty much restarted their economy. It's it's up and running. Several European countries are also ahead of us uh, in restarting their economies. The U.S. economies in various states are beginning to restart, as you mentioned earlier. We have, you know, we're getting going in Texas again, and and, and really states all over the country. And so, as these economies restart, the demand for crude oil is also going to go up. People are going to begin driving more and eating. You know, using more petroleum products to heat their homes and and all the myriad ways we use petroleum products. So demand is going to ramp up fairly rapidly. At the same time, though, we've had this new OPEC Plus agreement where they're, they're, they've agreed to reduce their own production by 10 million barrels a day. We're probably going to end up reducing U.S. production without any intervention by the Railroad Commission by upwards of 5 million barrels a day just in the United States. Canada's own production has dropped off by at least a million barrels a day. And so you're taking an awful lot of crude supply off of the market. At the same time, demand is going to begin ramping back up. And, and when you look at the Rystad Energy Report that was released last week, they're, they're projecting it's going to be back to 85 million barrels a day of demand by August. Well, 
the, the world probably today, as of today, is only producing maybe 85 million barrels a day. And so those that supply and demand curves are going to cross sometime in, in August or September, and suddenly the price is going to begin going back up fairly rapidly. I think by the fourth quarter, it's probably going to be over $40 a barrel. And by the first of the year, West Texas Intermediate, it's going to probably be right back to $50 a barrel, where it was on January 1st of this year. So, yeah, we are going to have a pretty significant rebound in prices. And if, if, if U.S. production doesn't ramp up very quickly, and I don't think it will, I think you're going to see this rig count remain pretty low for the rest of this year, frankly, um, uh, then you could see a real spike in crude prices in the fourth quarter of this year and the first quarter of next year, up well over $60 a barrel. So I, I just think, you know, it's bleak right now. We're in this terrible situation with very low demand. But this is not a long-term thing. This is a phenomenon that's going to last a few months and then we're going to go right back up again and um so because it was kind of save a lot of these companies from, from having to go through bankruptcy unfortunately it's not going to happen that fast right but you know if you're still around and in business come january you could be in a pretty good situation again that piques my interest on the potential possibility in the future so if this is going to be a very bleak year but here comes 2021 and it's come on baby do do we do you think that the united states once again is going to be back where we are where we're continuing to just fill those uh, pipelines up and here we are again everybody's flooding the market again i mean it it, it seems like a never-ending cycle and i i don't see a it mechanism does. to stop this it's going to occur again well, there is a mechanism there is a mechanism can, that could mute it and that is the railroad commission um taking a long-term view, uh to prorationing like past railroad commissions have done mm -hmm. and using prorationing their authority to limit oil production in texas to kind of smooth out these boom and bust cycles because the, our, our real fundamental issue in the United States is that our shell business is competing with all of these other countries for market share on the global market. And we have a business model that says, okay, all these other countries are going to keep cutting their own production and their own incomes so that we can drill a bunch more wells and take more market share here in the United States. And as we saw in March, when Russia and Saudi Arabia blew up the OPEC plus deal on March 4th, eventually those other countries are going to say, no, we're not going to cut anymore. Right. And so now we're going to go right back into that same cycle again, because none of the state, and it's not just the Railroad Commission, state regulators in North Dakota and Oklahoma and New Mexico and Wyoming, as I've written many times at Shell Magazine, have similar authorities that the Railroad Commission does. And these state regulators could, if they chose to do so, use those authorities to, to smooth out these boom and bust cycles by limiting U.S. production. But, you know, that, um, 
doesn't appear to be anyone really thinking along those lines. Yeah, maybe it's no one really seems to have the appetite for it. But looking at it long term, <laughs> it's we'll be back here again, you know, in the near, well, not in, in the near, we'll yep, we'll be back here again and we'll push the Saudis and the Russians' patience one more time. Um, and we'll uh, be back where we were. David, that is all the time we have for this uh, week's show, and thank you so much for coming in and breaking everything down for us because there is a lot happening. Uh, And we look forward to reading your latest article in which uh, the cover for Shell Magazine is Tracy Bentley, the president of the Permian Basin uh, Strategic Partnership. For more information for our listeners, if you want to catch up with David, uh, write David, or read his latest article and, of course, Shell Magazine's issue, please visit shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. Again, that's shalemag.com. David, thank you once again for being on our show. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.